This is the Strong Woman Sisterhood Podcast. My name is Rachel Broderick, and I'm here to share and talk all things health, wellness, and wisdom with strong women who are wanting to improve how they think about themselves and their life and become what I like to refer to as real life fit. So if you are ready to become the strongest version of yourself on the inside and out, I can't wait to share this journey with you. Let's dive right in. Welcome to episode eight with Natasha Lee Mills. And this was recorded during Black History Month in October of this year. Now, in this episode, we talk about her experiences and views on racism here in the UK. Natasha has worked for over 12 years in the elite and professional sporting arena as a physiotherapist and as a performance lifestyle advisor, coaching and mentoring Team GB Judo, archery and para-archery teams. In addition to the above, she's worked more widely on issues in equality, diversity and inclusion in sport and has experience as the co-chair to the BAME Network at the University of Warwick and part of the Racial Equality Task Force Group. Having worked alongside people of colour in the sporting arena, including Linford Christie, Jessica Ennis-Hill and Dame Kelly Holmes, Natasha was inspired and has gone on to set up her own coaching consultancy to empower her clients to transform their thinking and giving them a roadmap of what it takes to win. Now we talk about a whole range of things during this interview, but some of the key things that we do touch on include being honest about not getting involved in the Black Lives Matter conversation because of fear of offending the black community and saying the wrong thing. We talk about Natasha's own experience as a mixed race woman in the UK, in the sports arena, and even during the pandemic in 2020. We touch on white privilege, acknowledging that it does exist, but how uncomfortable it can be to say that it does. How stop and search has impacted the lives of uh, the black community around the country, but in particular during the lockdown um, this year. Some of the figures are staggering, actually. We talk about how black women in the UK are impacted by black history issues and racism today. And finally, how we can all be allies to the black community, how we can support and listen. So listen in. Please connect with me on Instagram at the Strong Woman Sisterhood and let me know which parts resonated with you the most. Enjoy. So one of the things I just wanted to like box off straight away because I think for me, I want to, it's just, I having gone through a real learning journey and I'm still learning all the time about black history in the UK I mean obviously we, we hear a lot of black history and, and things in America but there's obviously such a wealth of black history in the UK as well and and learn you know I've been on such a huge learning journey over the last oh my god six months with this and still don't know everything there is to know and we'll never know everything there is to know because I think we're always we're always learning anyway but I think one of the things that's really quite for me is just how much I don't know. <laughs> and I think, and I think, you know, I know we spoke on the phone, didn't we, Natasha, a few months ago. I think one of the things where I get quite nervous, and I think people who aren't black 
this is why not that we avoid it but we're scared to talk about it because we don't want to offend people and we don't want to say the wrong thing and I don't know if it's a British thing it probably is that British oh we don't want to offend anyone we want to be really kind of politically correct and so it's that getting out of that comfort zone of just saying well I don't see race I don't see colour you know I see everybody the same um almost a kind of whitewashing of 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 history and yeah the reality of what 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 is actually happening and looking through the world in these rose-tinted spectacles of oh, oh I see everybody the same and as lovely as that sounds it's such it we don't move forward yeah with that approach and I think we kind of have to have those uncomfortable conversations and I thought what was really great Natasha because we obviously connected on social I think you we've come to be connected somehow I don't know how that's happened but we've come to be connected and I think you commented on a post I shared when everything kind of reached a real pinnacle in 2020 with the death of George Floyd because it felt like um, if that was a real kind of pinnacle in terms of um, Black Lives Matter and just really bring into the fore what, what we kind of all knew was going on, but we just didn't see it or we chose not to see it or watch it. It was kind of slammed into our faces with the death of George Floyd. And, you know, we are... You know, I, I, you know, I, I've, I've had to do some real soul, soul searching in terms of thinking, where am I? Where, where is the work that I need to do? Um, what do I need to learn? And we connected, we were chatting, weren't we? And, and really kindly, you know, we kind of connected and we, and we got talking and what have you. And I think we, 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 we intended to speak on the phone really briefly. We ended up like chatting for like <laughs> forty-five minutes and like, okay, we need to like save this for the podcast, but. It, you know it's obviously something that you feel passionate about and I want to kind of get this right off the start like you are you would class yourself as black mixed race a person of color what is what is you know there seems what how how do you identify or do you just I don't know what what do we, how would you identify yourself yeah I think it's a really it's a really complex complex thing and it, it's just like um if you were to kind of say to to any person how would you identify themselves? They don't put themselves in a box, really. No. Um, and actually, a lot of people of the LBGTQ plus are actually also going, I, I'm just a person. Why do I need to put myself in a box? But actually, um, we've always been put in a box as black people or people of colour or, you know, mixed race or whatever. We've always been put in a box. And actually, I remember as a young person not having a box at all. So it was kind of like you were either black or you were white. There wasn't a mixed race. There wasn't a, you know, black Caribbean, black African. It was just like you were one or the other or you were, you know, so or you were non-white. That was it. So I class myself as mixed race. Um, I have a um, black father from Guyana and I have a white mother who was born in England. But our heritage, like my grandmother's from Scotland. So I kind of love my mixed heritage. And I think it's a, it's a wonderful thing that the UK has because there's lots of us around um, and we just get like the best of both worlds, I'd say. Um, but I do like the term people of color, but a lot of people in the UK don't like that. So, but a lot of Americans like that. So it's actually about finding out, you know, from people what, what they like, you know, how they want to be identified. Some people don't want to see you to see colour at all, whereas a lot of us actually really do want you to acknowledge our colours just as 
as if someone wants to be acknowledged that they've got blonde hair or they've got blue eyes, you know, my colour is important to me because it, it's, it's my identity. It's how everyone sees me as I walk in a room. So I don't want people to not see it. Um, but I also don't want people to judge me differently because of it, which is what I've experienced throughout my life. Now, you've been really um, quite open about your own feelings and reactions to some of the challenges that black people or people of colour face here in the UK. Um, and, you know, you shared some really kind of eye opening posts on your social media that really got me thinking, um, you know, about you know, the challenges that we have in the UK with racism. And I suppose from my my own experience, it wasn't something that was necessarily in my periphery because that wasn't, I've never, like, I, it was not my world, you know. So I've never experienced, like, um, racism. It's not, you know, I don't have to think about my move and how I'm perceived in my day-to-day -day life and it was really interesting you sent me when we got talking and I was like okay I want to do the work I don't know where to start and you sent me a really you know you told me to watch the um what's this show on Netflix the um the Chelsea Handler oh yes I forgot about that yeah yeah that really interesting something about white privilege wasn't white it? white privilege and and you know the term white privilege kind of gets banded about a lot doesn't it and that but was it... Renee Brown that actually came up with that which which is it triggered so many people, but actually it was a white person who came up with the white privilege, but actually then it became a real thing that made a lot of people defensive. And that also then shut down a lot of conversations as well as it uh, opened up a few conversations as well. But actually it was a white person who actually said, look, I'm acknowledging my white privilege. You all need to learn about it. But then it was kind of almost a stick to beat black people with because people would be like, well, that's your privilege. And they were like, we're not privileged. <laughs> <laughs> it became like a really, really funny thing. I'm a little bit funny about the the privilege um, word because of the backlash it gets from people because people don't realize where it originated from. And it was a lot of talk from Brene Brown kind of trying to get people to wake up to their privilege. But it was, yeah, a really interesting documentary, wasn't it? It was a really funny one and they, and they really challenged it, but it, it, it was an uncomfortable watch, I think. It was, but it was a really enlightening watch because I think, you know, people might not see, necessarily see, um, or understand, you know, uh, systemic racism that has happened over many, 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 many hundreds of years and understand why the black people are still disadvantaged in the modern day. And it's like when you actually go back in time and look at why, you know, black people couldn't get loans, couldn't get mortgages, they were forced to live in, you know, deprived areas together. And you can kind of see that over time how this has put black people and people of colour at, at, at a significant disadvantage, um, you know, from the get-go, really. And so I thought it was really interesting. Um, you know, I, 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 my, my, my personal viewpoint is, is a, a probably a, a slightly different to yours in that, do acknowledge that I am I've lived in I have that privilege in as much as those issues that black people and people of color have experienced in the UK over the last however many hundreds of years has never been on my periphery in as much as because it's just never been something I've ever experienced directly and so that makes me that does make me privileged. I don't have to think about my safety when I, or I never have had to think about it in that way. And suppose that naivety 
um, that comes with that kind of not feeling like I have to worry or even think about how I'm perceived in society. Yeah. And I mean, I mean, it's a really simple example is when you put on a mask and you go around a shop, do you even think that the security guard might follow you around? No, no. But me loads of times during this pandemic is, you know, I'll I'll go into a supermarket, maybe not, not, it's not always a supermarket, but actually I've been to Boots a couple of times. And, um, you know, if I turn up in my tracksuit bottoms rather than actually, because no one's wearing work clothes anymore, let's face it, we're not dressed up for the office anymore, we're all in loungewear. And I put my mask on and I've been followed around the shop about three times whilst wearing my mask. And I laugh about it because I go, well, you know, that's just my life. But other people who are putting on their mask don't realise that that, that people will judge them differently because they haven't had to think about it because they're too busy worrying about wearing a mask in a shop and getting angry about wearing a mask in a shop and how it's taken away their rights where you're like well imagine putting on a mask and then being followed around the shop when you actually have two degrees you're a professional person and you're nearly 40 and you're being followed around like you're some kind of retrobate person who's about to steal a bottle of shampoo you know and that that is the difference really yeah um, well, if it's raining and a young lad puts his hood up and has a mask on how's he going to be perceived if he's a if he's a black guy walking down the street puts his hood up put, has a mask on to go into the shop how's he going to be, be perceived people won't think oh it's raining outside they'll perceive something else and that's where the privilege comes in because people don't even have to think about that yeah I think actually you talked about um you know, your experience during, you know, COVID and what have you. And I thought what was really interesting that I read that in the UK, um, institutionalised racism has really kind of been laid bare with young black men being stopped and searched 20,000 times in London during the coronavirus lockdown. So that's the equivalent of one in four young black men. And some of these people have been MPs, barristers, the people that have been stopped, you know, black MPs, barristers, senior police officers, sports people. And, you know, you think, wow, that is that is insane. And um, I, I actually interviewed a lady, um, a, a good friend of mine. Uh, she works for BBC Radio Manchester, Simone Riley. And um, black girl, black lady. She grew up in Manchester, Manchester, uh, Manchester girl. Um, and you know her parents are from, you know, um, came over from you know the Windrush generation and um, and her experience. And you just think, like she, you know, she herself has experienced experience being stopped by the police. And she was driving home from work one night when she was a young young girl, and you can't imagine how frightening that must be to be stopped and searched for no reason um and and so actually you know in you know like you say you talk about covid you know to be stopped that 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 many times during the coronavirus lockdown and um i read somewhere else as well that black and caribbean and black african people in the uk are five times more likely to be diagnosed with psychosis than their white counterparts um when the rates of psychotic illness aren't aren't don't appear to be high in the caribbean um and so saying that there is a strong link between forms of social disadvantage such as unemployment poor housing um you know the impact on mental health yeah um 
trauma actually can help um, can actually increase psychotic episodes and child abuse, which actually could have happened in in all of their their lives. So there's, there's huge um, social economic disadvantages. But the just back to your original point with regards to stop and search, this isn't anything new to our community. But what's really refreshing is that people like yourself are actually aware of those stats and actually going, hold on a minute, what's this about? Um, and I've, I recently shared on Twitter because I got into another debate. And, and I think the hardest thing for me on this whole topic has actually been people from the holistic, people from the coaching sector, um, people who are, you know, saying that they're there to empower people who have like really opposing views that actually are quite detrimental to people. So I challenged another coach. He kind of was back in stop and search and just says, well, 99% of knife crime is black. So, you know, they should be stopped and searched. Why should we search anyone else? But I was then saying, well, 85% of sex offenders are actually white males. So if the police started to wanted to look at your computers, 85, well, 85% of you are white males. So we're going to look at all your computers and check your so sexual history. How, how would you feel about that? No reply. Because obviously it's not going to reply to that. Because could you imagine, could you imagine if the police suddenly look, check the history of 85, well, in fact, 85%, just all white males of a certain age group because they yeah. could be sex offenders. It'd just be ridiculous. And people, it just wouldn't happen, would it? Mm, mm. but that's what that's what black people are going through and especially black males are going through every day and people are like well it's fine because knife knife crimes their their problem and you're like well it's not actually it's social economic problems it's actually constant disadvantage it's actually being in an environment where they're terrified every day um where they they're not supported by the police or by their local people where actually they could be expelled from school or you know there's so many reasons so why. many factors yeah, yeah. so many factors it's great to hear that people are starting to wake up to these stats and go it's not okay so i just wanted to jump in and uh just share with you a little bit of information that may be of interest to you if you have been listening to my podcast for a little while and would like to know a little bit more about what it is that I actually do. So for those of you that don't know already, um, I am an online uh, female fitness coach and I support women who want to take a little bit more time for themselves to make their health and wellness a priority in their own lives from the comfort of their own homes. And I do this via my members community, The Strong Woman Sisterhood, and uh, we're an amazing female fit of women who are just really committed to making ourselves a little bit more of a priority in our own lives when it comes to our health and well-being. I run regular transformation groups where I help you get connected with an online fitness program, get you plugged into some nutritional support and support you through that process and you don't have to step in foot in a gym, which I know certainly at this point in 2020 isn't something that's uh, that easy to do right now uh, but that aside it just means that you can work out from the comfort of your own home feel good that you've taken a little bit of time for yourself each day so if you would like to know a little bit more about that and the strong woman sisterhood members community then you need to be on my mailing list. And so I am going to put the link to my mailing list to join in the show notes. Just pop your details in there and 
Um, every now and again, you will get an email from me uh, letting you know everything that I'm up to uh, in relation to the podcast, to the Strong Woman Sisterhood members community and what upcoming transformation groups I have coming up. So if you want to be in the loop, you need to be on the mailing list. So check out the link in the show notes and let's get back to the interview. Yeah, yeah. And I think, um, I mean, some of the work that you do um, in your coaching and mentoring, so obviously you've worked for the last 12 years in elite and professional sports, um, coaching and mentoring, and um, as also as a physiotherapist, but you've obviously uh, coached and mentored, you know, you know, some of the GBT, the judo, the archery, the para-archery as well. And some of the other work that you do um, has been working around the equality, diversity and inclusion issues in sport as well. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. So I actually started a lot of my work with um, Warwick University. So being on the race equality task force group. So just recognising that of the Russell group kind of universities, there is a, there is a bit of a problem, really. We're all kind of looking at the the pay gender pay gap which we identify and actually everyone can relate to there is a problem (laughs) with equality with women and men but also the race pay gap and also how we look at stats um, and actually how a lot of people are using those BAME statistics to support that they're doing okay but actually when you break them down into British born people such as people that are really affected such as the Bangladeshi community and actually Black Caribbean Uh, British born they're the ones that are actually the most disadvantaged and actually not getting into these kind of institutions working or actually uh, as students as well so you start to break it down Um, and then since then I've gone on to um, be a coach for the I think it's the business healthcare scholarship scheme which is a real fantastic thing a lovely lady called Tara has put her own money forwards to actually help kind of readdress and provide five people with £2,000 to towards their leadership journey in the healthcare sector because they realise that actually loads of people from the BAME community aren't even getting into leadership positions in healthcare so she wanted to do something about it so we've got loads of mentors, GPs, myself, physiotherapist, coach um, and all that kind of thing to kind of mentor these young BAME um, healthcare workers to help hopefully improve that and, and let me tell you some of these people are amazing anyway you're like oh my god you, you shouldn't even need mentoring but the fact is they're still not getting the jobs that they're going for so actually having these amazing mentors will actually do them the world of good and things like the black pound project in birmingham are part of now so i'm going to be mentoring some wonderful businesses in birmingham just to help them you know get on track and to manage and navigate their way through um through covid as well because not only are people socially disadvantaged and kind of you know already struggling but then they're hit with covid as well like everybody else so you know um being able to give mentorship for them is really good and then working with the english english institute of sport we're kind of just set up our um performance lifestyle equality and diverse diversity and inclusion group uh recently so we're just starting to again just have conversations around how we can have a more diverse workforce amazing amazing I think that um, one of the things that um, I'm really passionate about is obviously, you know, women um, feeling empowered and, um, you know, feeling confident in terms of being able to have their voice heard and and um, to speak out. And um, obviously a lot of the work that I do is around, you know, body confidence and being physically fit and strong. 
uh, but also very much around you know mindset and health uh, being healthy not just being a physical thing but being a state of mind and and and, and taking care of our mental well-being as well so I'm very very passionate about women um taking care of themselves I want to kind of like spin that around a little bit and I want to talk about um female you know black women in the UK and you know what your perspective is on how they are impacted in this country um and you know what are your insights into this obviously you've got you know um you know quite profound insights into kind of the sports you know into the sports sector but um i'd be really interested to hear what your insights are into you know um you know women of color in the uk and how they are impacted by um black history uh, issues and also you know um racism in the country in this country as you see it yeah, well, I think it's, it, again, it's a really complex and diverse issue. I think that there's um, there's a whole load of us, like the mixed race people as well, that kind of have our own identity issues where we're kind of, you know, um, you know, part white, part black. We don't quite always fit in with the black community. We don't always fit in with the, the white community because when we walk into a room, people see that we're not white. Um, so we kind of have that kind of... Um, identity but then also we're also the ones that are now featured on all the adverts we're also ones that are featured in music so it's always the light-skinned people um it's always the one with the curly hair rather than kind of your traditional afro hair um and dreadlocks and stuff like that so actually it, it creates a really interesting kind of juxtaposition because you've got light-skinned mixed-race people talking about black issues all the time in bbc on popular massive forums but actually still, I'd probably say we're way more privileged than kind of the average black woman who, you know, especially who wants to have natural hair, um, you know, and doesn't want to go into a workplace where everyone goes, oh, can I touch your hair? Um, because that happens. And people do always comment on my hair and it's lovely, but actually it's all the time. And I go, oh, thank you. That's nice. But actually, I can't imagine what it's like to be like, oh, I've never touched curly hair before. I've never touched Afro hair. Can I touch it? and people just touching your hair. Um, and that's what they have to experience all the time. I've, uh, I know someone who was um, um, an MBE and they kind of turn up to do a speech and they get told, at the, and this was at the, in parliament, and they get told to go through the service entrance because they're black and that, yeah, and they're like an MBE. So- What it, is it that this is happening now? Now, this is now, this is now, um, yes. And, you know, there's been times where people kind of go up to people and kind of go, oh, can you take my plate? In fact, this actually happened to um, one of one of my friends. She was at, um, I think it was at Goldsmiths, so at, at a, in the jewellery business, and actually someone actually asked her to remove a plate. And she was there as a business owner in the jewellery industry. Um, and it's happening all the time. And then if you do get into a position of power, a leadership power uh, position, which actually I think a lot of us are, like end up middle management, we're kind of seen as challenging and we have to constantly modify our whole persona to make sure that we're not seen as the angry black woman or, you know, because we then have to manage people's fragility as well, because women have took so long to get to those positions of power as well, that they've had to deal with conflict. And then the last thing they need is then uh, a black woman kind of challenging their views because that creates its own drama. Um, so it's just a really complex, complex scenario that you're kind of, it's like a game of chess all the time. Like 
what mask do I have to put on? What, what things should I play next? Um, how should I play this? How should I enter the room? How smiley should I be? Because I've had comments from my boss before about how positive I look today because I was wearing a blazer rather than a tracksuit because I had to wear a tracksuit as a job because I was a physiotherapist and it's like oh you look really positive today and I'm like my attitude is no different but it's your perceptions of me um, and I don't know if that happens to everyone else but I know it happens to me a lot more than my other friends <laughs> and my other colleagues um, so you just have to be constantly thinking about how you might be perceived so you never quite are able to be yourself um, and it's yeah it's it's a minefield but I, I just think that women know what it's like to not have a voice to not be heard uh, to not be able to speak out so actually then imagine having another another challenge on top of there imagine being a woman who's wearing a hijab for example and walking in how they're going to be perceived how are they going to be heard how are they going to have a voice um, a woman with natural afro hair how are they going to be perceived you know so I think that's that's what people if they can understand that that's what we're thinking when we walk in a room when you're looking at us going oh you're black you know if they kind of go oh you've got a british name but oh you're actually black and you go imagine if people could then actually just go let's just have normal conversations let's kind of make them feel at ease so they can be themselves quicker rather than the judgment i think that would help but the fact it's not on anyone's mind except for the black people who walk in the room makes it an issue because nobody knows that we're thinking that every time we walk in a room yeah it's it's interesting actually um having spoken to um friends in the black community uh you know other women you know who who are in the black community and it's not the first time that i've heard the phrase angry black woman um and um you know is you know to like you say to have that you know to get to, to you know to to push through those barriers that are in place if you're female anyway in certain institutions is one thing but like you say to then have to constantly monitor how manage how other people perceive you in another have an extra layer on top of that because you you know you, you might be seen you know confident or passionate and to people to have to worry that you know you come across as angry um and just, angry it's yeah, yeah it's just crazy because, it was a uh, it was my experience in professional rugby that kind of really like brought that home to me because you know I wasn't I was I, I am a confident black woman I'm I'm confident in what I do I was confident in my skills uh, I thought I had a lot to offer a lot of value to bring but I didn't realize how being confident would would you know cause such conflict in people how just standing in power and having a great day would really rattle some people um and that was really new to me um and i think that a lot of the times in rugby i was challenged i was shouted at you know there was one time in front of clients and in front of my colleagues i was absolutely shouted at by a six foot four man and i didn't break down in tears because i was shaking but i was like i can't believe this is happening to me like i just in my no one has ever spoke to me like that. I just don't even understand it. But I've been through so much in my life to get to this point. It's like it was just another challenge. So it wasn't something that I was just going to suddenly burst into tears. But actually, by not bursting into tears, it made them more aggressive. 
because actually if I'd not been through so much adversity in my life and actually been able to just you know go in a cupboard and cry like some of the other girls had done in that environment they all had an arm around them oh don't worry about it oh sorry about that you know they they were just a bit angry I got treated worse and worse and worse because I just stood there like is this actually happening to me a grown man is shouting at me um, but I just went in there and I did everything I could using NLP or the Tony Robbins stuff, standing really strong, like I need to go in today. I'm my best self. I was doing all the affirmations so I could go in and have the confidence to do my job, which was to make medical decisions. It's not like I could go in there and wobble because otherwise people's like not lives, but livelihood would be at risk because they would injure themselves because I wouldn't make the right decision if I was scared. So I'd go in there and I'd be really confident. I'd be like, all right, I've got it today. I'd walk in and that used to just rattle people even more because they were like we shouted at that person how dare she walk in like this um and it was just I, I just became really aware I was like this is this is not normal but then because I haven't come across many um black people in my profession I've only ever met one black physio and one black doctor in my 12-year career until recently um, who worked in sport to be able to have those conversations they were like oh yeah this has happened to me and the more conversation you have yeah this has happened to me oh yeah that's happened to me I was called challenging bossy uh, angry you know all of these things and we all start to go oh no yeah we're all the same we're all we're all spoke about like that we're all in these situations and then you start to go oh it's a bigger problem than just me yeah oh god um yeah it's it's just a minefield isn't it it's a minefield one of the things you touched on, and I'm really glad you mentioned it, you talk about, you talked about the Black Pound in Birmingham, um, which I think I've heard of this. So this is where, um, I mean, obviously it's really important to address black history in the UK, shine a light on that oppression and brutality over hundreds and hundreds of years and understand the reality of what British history was in a lot of respects. Um, but actually, I'm right in thinking the focus on the Black Pound is, is really a celebration and to shine a light on successful Black people and draw yeah, attention to I their think, businesses yeah, in, yeah, in the modern so day, yeah? The, pro the project that I'm working for is part of Black Pound Project in Birmingham. So the bigger Black Pound is about, yeah, celebrating success and actually spending your money in Black businesses. And that's as a Black community as much as anyone else as well. But also the... The, the point of it is as well is to actually really give people guidance and mentorship because I definitely think that in having adversity people become really resilient but also really entrepreneurial so it, it allows people to think differently to be creative especially with how to make money um, so many people set up businesses but they don't really know how to you know write a business plan or work out how much they need to charge in order to you know make profits and stuff like that there's simple things that they kind of they know they need to you know for example set up a barbershop they know they need to get clients and they know they kind of need to pay their staff but then they don't quite know how much do you need how many do you need per month in order to make yourself a profit and then to put away and then to kind of retire um, and stuff like that so it's actually giving people the guidance so they can actually be even more successful because actually a lot of these businesses can't apply for loans or they don't get them or grants they don't know how to use the right language to fill out grant applications so it's about just giving people this amazing mentorship because 
again, that's a privilege to know that information. I've done thousands of pounds worth of courses to find that information out. But, you know, I can hopefully then give that back to another company who didn't even know that type of thing existed. Amazing, amazing. Thank you for explaining that in a little bit more detail. Because I've heard about the Black Pound um, initiative and I thought it was fantastic. So I was really glad that you touched on it then actually and brought it, brought it up. So we've covered quite a few different things during this conversation and I'm going to ask you an impossible question. <laughs> <laughs> yes, go for it. Um, but, you know, where... So 2020 really has been the year to... to to, to shine a light again and I don't think it's necessarily brought Black Lives Matter you know to a you know a, a pinnacle because there's been lots of pinnacles in black history and um you know um black black brutality you know with um you know police brutality in the US and, and also you know in the UK and um you know we talk about the Stephen Lawrence you know that gosh that was how long ago now 20 years 20 years ago um you know so we have these kind of really catastrophic um events that happen where people die and there's a lot of attention and everybody's very in the moment very focused on the issue and then time passes and things kind of calm down and there isn't as much noise in the public in the kind of in the press or in the news yeah well trump um, trump even you know wouldn't denounce white supremacy um in the in the debate but then a day later all we were talking about on all news channels is trump having covid so it's literally around for a couple of seconds and and it's just got to stay on people's minds you know everybody kicked off about George Floyd, which to be fair to the black community, we were shocked that everybody paid attention because it's been happening for ages. But then Breonna, Breonna Taylor, you know, it's that's that's just as awful. It's just as horrific, if not worse, but it's not on camera. So, you know, the world just let it carry on. And this is like weeks later. So, you know, it's, it's people have just got to keep it in their minds, even though it doesn't affect their daily life, which is so hard, isn't it, to get people who are going through so many challenges like we discussed before, you know, you know, having to get over the fact that they've had their kids at home all the time, you know, they, they can't see their family members, they're going through trauma themselves, but we have to then remind them that we need to, that other people still need their help. Yeah. Sorry, I interrupted your question. No, 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 you, you kind of answered it in a way. I, you know, I suppose what I wanted to know from your perspective was, where do you think the conversations need to go now to build on the momentum of everything, all the attention that the Black Lives Matter movement has had over the last last year how can we keep those conversations going i mean it's obviously black history month this month and it's kind of like the you know there are there are more things in the press and on the news kind of during black history month but that's one month of the year how do we keep those where do you think the conversations need to go now to build on that momentum i think it's like just be aware so i think there's um it's kind of your reticular activating system. There's a part of your brain that looks out for things. So for example, if I said to you, look for yellow cars, you'd start to see yellow cars everywhere. 
So what I like about kind of having these conversations is your brain then starts to look for those situations. So you'll start to look for inequalities. And I'm not saying it to, to like bring people down because they're already having a hard time. They don't need to constantly be thinking about it, but just look. So if you kind of have, if you go into a restaurant or you go to your favorite bar, which some of us can do at the moment, some can't, but if you do it, look at how many staff are diverse. Look at where those staff are that are diverse. If you go into your local bank, if you go into your local supermarket, um, have a look at what those kind of businesses and how diverse they are. When you're clicking on a Facebook advertisement for something that you wanna buy or a company or a clothes company, have a look at who is in that company and who the leaders are. Again, if it's not 50% women and 50% men, there's an inequality issue. Be open to that and just start having conversations. Um, if you see something that's not quite right, speak out about it. If you hear something, someone say something that you like, it makes your face screw up because you're like, oh God, just challenge them. Go, yeah, I really, really, really don't need to hear that kind of language. It's, it's not ideal. And challenge people and say it with a smile on your face. So you're like, it's not threatening. You're not in there to have a massive debate about things. You know, I've had people kind of go on about, oh, don't go to a Chinese now, you might get COVID. I mean, that's that's institutionalized racism starting all over again with a different community. So I challenge them and I challenge them all the time because I see it everywhere. So it's just open your eyes up to these little um, inequalities that we see and actually start challenging them. You know, 8% of 8% um, of BAME people are in boardrooms in sport, for example, but there's 14% in the community. So it's not even representing the UK. Um, and the things with the FTSE 100 companies, only I think it's something like 13% of them are women. So if only 13% are women, how diverse are those like FTSE 100 companies going to be? So let's start looking at where those inequalities and go, excuse me, what, what's your policy on that? And by doing that, what's your policy and how are you going to bring that to life? is the best way to do things. And I think I've seen some amazing changes and I've been part of some amazing changes. A lot of them led by the black community. And what would be really great is for people to start putting their money there as well to actually start addressing these inequalities. So it's not just a person who's made it, made it somewhere who can invest 10,000 pounds into the black community. It's actually local businesses going, do you know what? I'll put a thousand pounds towards that project because it's really good. Um, and just looking at having a diverse people if you're interviewing or if you go into a yoga class, go, actually, do you know what? Or an online yoga class, do you know what? I actually haven't seen anyone diverse and I don't follow anyone diverse on Instagram. I better do that, you know? So it's, you know, there's more, there's more out there than just Oprah, for example. <laughs> <laughs> They're wonderful. They've done a lot for diversity, but you know, there's more than just Michelle Obama and Oprah. So, you know, get out there, follow some people give them some likes, interact with them um, and just find out about them just being human beings. And then you can have those more meaningful conversations because as soon as they know that you're someone who will listen, people will talk more. Amazing. <laughs> I think that's the perfect place to finish. <laughs> Natasha, thank you so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. And the last 45 minutes has just gone 
so quick. <laughs> 45 minutes. Another 45 minutes. That must be our sweet spot, I think, Natasha. So um, so thank you so much. And uh, and obviously, I will uh, put all your links on in the show notes if people want to reach out and have a chat with you about some of the amazing coaching work that you are doing right now. And they can connect with you and reach out with you there as well. Natasha, thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, and for you for inviting me. And thank you for listening, because the more of you that listen to people like me, we can make huge changes in the world and you only need to make a change one person at a time. Amazing. Thanks, Natasha. Take care, lovely. Take care.